anybody can can be in business for for 500 bucks and and just a, a, a strong work ethic which is great it makes it a really good a business to kind of cut your teeth on entrepreneurship to kind of learn what it means to run your own business i think the lawn mowing business the, the landscaping business is one of the best industries to do that in <laughs> Hey, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of Slow Smoke Business. I'm your host, Jared Morgan. Today, I've got a, a new friend of mine. i got a bunch of great questions to ask him, Brian Clayton, who is the CEO of GreenPal. Welcome, Brian. Jared, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm pumped to have you here, man. Uh, and we're going to talk a lot about what you have learned in the GreenPal process. I, one of the things I can't wait to ask you is, you know, how do you, t a lot of people try to get into your space, not necessarily what you do, but into your industry, which is the, the lawn care industry, right? And they try to go in directly. You figured out how to make a bunch of competitors customers, I do believe. And I really want to talk about that because I think that's a really interesting um, way to pivot a business and find a way to be useful. But before we do that, we got to put something on the grill. Excited? This is what we do on this show, right? I love it. So I've done this a couple of times uh, on the show, this particular cut, but I'm doing it a little bit differently this time. This is a, frankly, a very poorly cut up <laughs> picanha that I got from my local butcher store. It ain't the butcher's fault that it's uh, scored a little sloppily here. Scored the fat cap here. This is a picanha. Um, and we're going to put it fat side up on the grill. Picanha is beef, also known as the sirloin cap. I like to say picanha because it makes me sound fancy. Um, I'm going to put the probes in here. And I'm actually going, um, you know, we usually I season this with brisket seasoning. But um, this time I did brisket seasoning with a dusting of maple bourbon on top. Uh, and this one's probably going to go for the duration of the show. This will be one of those ones I don't necessarily get to get off before because I'm trying to slow smoke it. But get a look. Can you see that, Brian? Damn, that looks good. Brian, you're and you're from uh, you're in from Nashville, right? So Na this is Nashville, probably Tennessee, like a yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we we we're, we've got a little bit of a claim to fame for barbecue. That's more Memphis, but uh, but that looks good, man. I'm, well, Nashville, I'm, I'm out, my mouth is watered. That's not a that's not a foreign concept to a Nashvilleian. Right? No, 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 not at all. That's we're not good. we're not we're not known for our good grilling, but but you know, yeah, I mean, we're more, we're more known for our hot chicken, which is a really like spicy <laughs> well, hot chicken. Which is taking the world by storm, too. By the way. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. Now, uh, you spend a lot of time thinking about the backyard, right? I'm in the backyard right now. Uh, Green Pal is an organization uh, that tries to help people find lawn care, the best lawn care solutions that they can in their city. Is that an accurate description? Yeah, that's right. It's it's a uh, it's a app, a website that works like DoorDash or Instacart or uh, Uber but for lawn mowing services. So if you're a homeowner, rather than calling around on Craigslist or Facebook or Yelp or something, you just download GreenPal, pop your address in, and you get hooked up with a good lawn mowing service in minutes. So the way you approached that was a lot of people try to get into the lawn care industry, and it is a healthy industry, right? I mean, there's even in, even in bad times, right, people are too busy to mow their yard, take care of their lawn, and it's something I think that, that thrives in good times and in bad. But you found a way to kind of go into that industry – and turn people into customers that, if you'd have gone into it directly, they all would have been competitors. And it, would you would you say lawn care is a saturated market? 
It's very competitive. It's uh, it's fiercely competitive because it has pretty low barriers to entry. Yeah. Um, you know, anybody can can be in business for for five hundred bucks and and just a, a, a strong work ethic, which is great. It makes it a really good a business to kind of cut your teeth on entrepreneurship to kind of learn what it means to run your own business. I think the lawn mowing business, the the landscaping business, is one of the best industries to do that in. My first business was actually a lawn care company. I started mowing grass in high school as a way to make extra cash and stuck with that little lawn mowing business for about 15 years and built it into a real company uh, with, with 150 employees and, mm. and eight figures a year in revenue. And, and then in 2013, that company was acquired by a national company uh, in, the, in the landscaping space. You wouldn't think there's national companies with thousands of employees, but there are a couple. One of them bought the business. And so... After that, I took some time off and thought, well, somebody's going to build uh, an app. Someone's going to build a, a marketplace to make this whole industry run smoother. I, why can't that be me? And, uh, and I, it was kind of naivete as an asset. I thought the idea would take about a year, maybe two to pull off. And as it turns out, it was very much a slow smoked business. It was, it, <laughs> it, it was very much a 10-year overnight success. But now GreenPal is, uh, is a decade in and, and uh, 300,000 people using the app to get Man. So, I mean, that, that actually, you made the joke, but that is sort of the genesis of that, the name of the show. You know, a lot of people, especially you're in the tech space, whether you like to probably admit it or not, you seem like you're like a Nashville guy, ran a lawn care company, but you are a tech guy now, right? You got, That's a, right. You got a website. And I think a lot of people um, tend to focus on the overnight successes, particularly in the tech industry. You've seen Instagram flop and flip in 18 months, and it was a big deal. And it's it's more, I think, advantageous for people that are trying to build their own business to hear stories like yours, right? 10 years of slowly making good decision after good decision. I think it's probably a little disheartening sometimes when you're at the beginning to realize that you probably are going to have to slog it for a little while, but it's reassuring to hear that when you're uh, in the middle of the process and you're like, why is this not going faster, right? And then you talk to somebody like you and you realize it, it, takes, a, it takes a long time sometimes to build something that has real lasting value. Um, when you spend 10 years putting something together, I imagine there are a litany of near-death experiences that you find yourself in the business that you have to uh, pull yourself through. Is there a particular lesson that you learned along the way that you feel like your business changed drastically after you sort of went through that process and learned the answer? Yeah, that's 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 right. It uh, it very much in the early days is an exercise of faith. You you have a, a vision. You you see the world uh, a little differently. You think that uh, your idea will make it change somehow. And in the first two or three years is is basically working against that that vision, working against that idea. And uh, and and the the thing is, is we're all sold this this uh, idea of the overnight success in, in, in the business press and in the tech press. And uh, the reality is there are no overnight successes. Everything that looks like an overnight success is usually the product of five, six, or seven years of, of an entrepreneur that tried a couple things that failed and they, they, they took those lessons learned and they rolled it into the thing that did work. Or maybe it was called something else and they, they changed the name of it. Or maybe this was their second or third swing at the plate. Um, it's never, it's never uh, a year or two. It's always something five or six or seven years in. And, and, you know, you watch movies about business. Anytime, like, the hard part 
about uh, building the business is always set to like a uh, musical montage. It's like it's never like like you know what I'm saying like <laughs> such a, it's yeah. such a good analogy. The, You're right. The, the movie The Social Network. If it, if it, if it really was about Mark Zuckerberg building Facebook, it would have been the most boring movie yeah. you've ever seen. It just would have been like them in a room coding 14 hours a day, seven yeah. days a week for for years. And and so so the the actual like building of the business is never sexy and interesting or no. entertaining. It's always a, it's always a slog in the early days, but you have that vision. You have you have that idea of how you see the world a little different and and you pour your soul into that. Yeah. You know, what's interesting too is I think your perspective is that you've actually built two things now that uh, got a material amount of scale, right? That that you you built two businesses that actually had to go through the scaling process, and I feel like that's a place where a lot of entrepreneurs trip. You mentioned the social network, right? I mean, you know, for Mark Zuckerberg to build a website where people could, you know, in the early days of Facebook, you're poking whatever that was, right? <laughs> you're poking each other, which was sort of what are we doing? But like, and you're sharing pictures and you're whatever. Like, it doesn't take a lot of finesse and whatnot to build that or maybe i guess in the time it, it kind of did but the real magic came as he scaled ultimately to where it's one of the largest internet things in the world and you've actually scaled two businesses now um what advice can you give to people in the early stages of their business when they're trying to think about setting up their business for scale yeah i think first it's important to to know to begin with the end in mind and know what, what you're seeking from like a, a personal standpoint and, and what type of business you want to build as an entrepreneur. Do you want to build something that touches the mass market? When I started GreenPal, that was really, really kind of how I saw it. I wanted to build something big that touched the mass market that had thousands of customers, maybe ultimately hundreds of thousands and maybe a million users at some point. And so that was, that was a big part of why I decided to build this kind of business. But but maybe that's not what you want to do. Maybe you just want to retire at 40 and travel the world. Or maybe you want to, you know, uh, buy a new house. Or maybe you want to put your kids through the best uh, college that you can. And, and maybe you have different financial goals. So you don't have to build a really big business. And I think a lot of folks uh, yeah. get, get into the idea of, of they have to build this, this big business when, in fact, you don't. Um, when I was building my landscaping business, I from year two to year nine, I made – the same money or less every year, you know, because I was pouring every dime I had back into the company because I really wanted to build the biggest uh, landscaping business I could in, in, in my market. But that was what I wanted to do. Meanwhile, I had competitors who were making more money than me. And I know many, many, many blue-collar millionaires that, that had plumbing businesses, that had excavation businesses, that had roofing businesses, that uh, kept it really small and tight, you know, one or two helpers, one or two employees. They, they took their money and invested it wisely and stuff like real estate. And, and, and they, they're, they're more wealthy than, than bankers and lawyers and doctors. So, so I think it's important to, to know what your personal goals are. Begin with the end in mind. Do you really want to start something that uh, you want to build something that's going to touch the mass market, something that's going to get really big that you can scale? And then what does that really look like? And then build a plan working backwards. And it's always going to be longer than you think. It's going to be minimum of five years, probably more like 10. And make sure it's something that you can go that long haul. Make sure that it's something that you can slow smoke, not something that you're going to, to want to microwave because it, it won't work. You know, if you, if you just threw that steak in the microwave, what, what, what kind of outcome would that be? 
and and that's how what thinking about starting like a a, a scaled business in in a year or two or three years is going to be like. It's, you're not going to be happy with the outcome. Yeah, we're not microwave steak people on the <laughs> slow smoke business show. There's no doubt. Um, so when you think about um, the market that you're in, you found a way to bring tech innovation into um, what is, as you sort of said, like a very blue collar kind of, there's not a lot of tech innovation in these kinds of blue collar trades. So did you, did you find that made it easier to sort of go in and make a mark and get traction or did it make it a little bit harder because you're in an industry that people probably don't spend a lot of time thinking about the tech side of what you do, which is yours is in lawn care. From my experience, I think that authenticity can be a competitive advantage when you're trying mm. to invent a new product. And that's basically what my two co-founders and I were doing when we started GreenPal 10 years ago. We were inventing an app where you could push a button and hire a lawn mowing service. And they would actually show up and do a really good job. And, and you can pay them through the app. That didn't exist. Nobody knew to use it. Nobody knew how to use it. And so we had to invent that. And, and so the only thing we had going for us was that I had spent 15 years in the industry. So I knew the things that, that were broken. I knew the things that needed to be fixed, that needed to be more efficient, that needed to be uh, more magical. And, and I saw what Uber was doing for ride sharing. And I thought, man, you know, all the things that suck about getting a cab, a lot of those are the same things that suck about getting a lawn mowing service. And on the other on the other side, a lot of the things that make it difficult to make a living running a ride, you know, running a, uh, a limousine service um, are a lot of the inefficient things that make it difficult to running a lawn mowing service. So I thought we could build a, a platform that could m fix a lot of these problems. And it was only because I had lived that I had those scars. I knew the, the, the problem firsthand that I knew what we needed to build. But. I had never built a product like this before. I had never coded a website. I had, I had yeah. never designed a website. So I had to learn all of those skills. But at least we knew the problem and we knew the solutions. And so that authenticity was probably the, one of the main things that got us through the first couple of years. Um, if, if, if I had tried to innovate in an industry like, uh, I don't know, uh, roofing or painting or pool service. I didn't know the firsthand uh, issues with those industries and all of them are different. So I think if you want to invent a new product, try to work in that industry for a year, two, three years, and then you know what you need to build uh, the product to be. Yeah, I think that's one of the lessons about your success in building this is that, you know, you came into this with some industry knowledge and oftentimes I do see people come in and they're trying to, not only if they've never built a website or an app or anything like that before, but they're also s just sort of innovating into an industry that maybe they've only been a consumer in. They've right. never actually known it very well. And I think that's a um, an important lesson to learn from your story is that one of the reasons why GreenPal likely has worked is because you understood how that industry worked in a, at a deep level and at scale, right? I mean, it wasn't like you had just, yeah, okay. I mean, man, I, I mowed plenty of yards. My dad and I had a lawn service when we were, when I was a kid and we mowed a lot of yards, but does that, I don't know, you know, me going and edging a lot of flower beds, right? Which I was okay at. You're pretty good uh, at it. Yeah. <laughs> I was okay. I was okay. I was okay. Don't put me on the weed eater though. I was butchering it, but like, you know, it's, it's not, that doesn't necessarily give me the, the industry knowledge that I really needed 
if I was going to go do something like Green Pal. And so it's such a relevant thing for you to remind people that um, you've got to be in a place where you can actually bring value to the conversation and sort of know what the industry needs. The example I always give is, you know, the company that I started was called Proctor U, and it was a education company. We watched people take tests over our webcam. We worked with colleges and universities, and we grew, and it, was, it, had, a, it had a great story, right? Before I started that business, I had a, a company uh, that was called Realtor Clicks that was uh, essentially Zillow, right? Um, the problem with those two, the, 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 the problem with that one as opposed to the other one, I worked at a school when I started Proctor U, and I f- deeply understood the process with which people had to take tests and all of the intricacies of why it would work and why it wouldn't. And then uh, I didn't, I mean, I knew real estate, but I wasn't, I wasn't a real estate agent. I d- had never sold real estate or whatever. So I just kind of had this idea, and uh, it was a good idea, but it was poorly executed because I didn't know what I was doing as opposed to the other uh, idea for an online proctoring service that worked because I was positioned to actually to execute on it. So I mean, that's, that's awesome. like one of the lessons that that's you awesome. can teach people, right? You lived and, it. And you knew it. Yeah, I lived it. Yeah. Yeah. So and, it's, 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 and along those lines, I think it's – I mean, I, 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 I want to double down on, on what we're talking about here because a lot of new founders skip over this. And, and, yeah. they, and, they, and they hear it, and they're like, yeah, yeah, but that, not me. I'll be different. And the reality is you have to know – firsthand what it is you're trying to innovate in and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a, a 30 second story that that is that 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 just the other day happened um a, f- a founder that i helped mentor uh, from time to time called me he says i got a new idea for a business i want to build a marketplace like yours um you know how i'm i'm building this house right i'm like yeah he goes well dude i found i found uh that you can go to these suppliers and you can get um stuff that they have like scratch and dent and stuff that they, they special ordered really cheap that they can't sell in the front of the store. You can get it in the back of the store. So I got a front door for like 200 bucks. That's normally two grand. And I got like this tile that's really high end for really cheap. And I was able to go and like save tens of thousands of dollars on, on materials for my house. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. He goes, yeah. He goes, I, and, and what I found out was I called three other suppliers and they've all got this stuff and they all need to sell it. So I want to build a, a really nice e-commerce website where you can point and click and buy this stuff and and you know for half off and i said okay that's cool he goes yeah and this guy's you got this guy's a coder and, he, and so he said well I'm, I'm coding up the i'm coding up the front end now and i'm working on the inventory system and i just hired this seo uh, company to work on the marketing i'm like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. let's calm down i said <laughs> i said do me a favor i said go to that supplier and say i want to sell $1,000 of this crap, and I will let you keep all the money. But just let me come into the back office and sell $1,000 of this junk you've got back here. He goes, no, 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 I don't have time for that. i got to build the inventory system. i got the SEO company. And I said, just please, $1,000, do not do anything else until you sell $1,000. And I'm, and, and I'm sorry, I can't mentor you anymore if you don't do this. He goes, so he begrudgingly goes down there, and, and, uh, and by the second day he calls me, and I was, like, I was like, man, how's it going? He goes, there's no business here. <laughs> he said this stuff yeah this stuff's hodgepodge it doesn't fit yeah. they think it's this they think it's that can't and, you know it's like there's a reason why that crap sits in the back of the store and nobody buys it because it's just it's dead inventory it, it is what it is and so he had he not done that he'd have wasted three years um building out a big system and and, and not getting customers for it so really don't you know let's listen to that story and and hand crank 
put in the reps of, of whatever it is you're trying to do before you go and build some product for it. Yeah, you know, a way to think about it is like manual before automatic, mm. right? Um, you know, he was getting ready to build this, like, system that was automatic, and he hadn't even – like, you need to do it manually. You need to kind of go, to your point, go f- look at the inventory and say, can I find a buyer for this? And, yep. You know, and, and all of that. And also another piece of it was sort of like asking – people whether they uh i think they probably would want to do that sort yeah. of thing but the reason that businesses generally go out of business there's a lot of there's a lot of other there's there's kind of like an other category it's probably 20 percent, but 80 percent of the time what is it it's because they don't have enough customers right right it's and so i think that when i've mentored people that were uh more tech focused like coders and whatnot they typically do what your guy just did right there. They jumped all the way to the how, right? How am I going to do that? How am I going to build this system? How I, and they don't actually get into the why or should I or does anybody care right. or how do I get customers? And, like, you know, people, people like to chide salespeople a lot and that they, they sell vaporware and they sell. But at the end of the day, like, Nothing happens until someone sells something. That's the old joke we used to say when we was like tech and ops and, and sales are all eh, eh, eh. like nothing happens until somebody sells something. Until you can actually understand why somebody goes, oh, yeah, 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 I'll do that. How much is it? Right. And you can and you can get that to happen a lot. Um, you don't really have a business. That's right. You know? And there's a lot of other reasons why you might not have a business. But that one's like at the front of the line. If you can't actually get somebody to get their wallet out, then you don't have a business. That's right. And, and the first-time founder, I've made this mistake, worries about the product. They worry about what the brand looks like, what the color scheme looks like, what the company culture is going to be, what's the social media uh, page going to look like. The first-time founder worries about all of those product-related things. And the second-time founder worries about sales and distribution. <laughs> because the second-time founder has yep. been around the block and knows that however hard it is to build that product and bring it to market, Getting a hundred customers, getting a thousand customers is is ten times or a hundred times harder, yep. and and that's the reason why this day and age you've got, you know, these social media influencers that can command big money, because they have the distribution, yep. they can they can put the product in people's hands, and that distribution is actually more valuable, and more more and harder to attain than building the product in the first place. Yeah, we used to have a saying, uh, high tide covers all stumps, right? And what it meant was, like, if you're selling a lot of stuff, um, it can really mask a lot of problems. And that you can look at that in two ways. It's a bad thing because when you see somebody selling a lot and just assume they're just this great business, not necessarily there might be some things under the surface that because they're blowing and going and selling, you don't see them. Um, Conversely, like, that's it's a positive thing. Like, you can obsess over – you know, the buttons and the widgets and the beeps and boops and blinking whatever's of your product. Um, But at the end of the day, you'll have a lot of grace uh, to build and work out of those problems if you're selling a lot of stuff. And that's why I I love your analogy of thinking of things as a second time founder, because yes, like when I was in this game for the first time, I thought, gosh, we gotta, we gotta make sure our website has a, a proper about us section. And we have to, you know, (laughs) like all these things that at the end of the day, like, no, the thing you need to obsess about if you're starting your business is why does your customer care and what problem are you solving and can you concretely easily convince somebody that you are the way to solve it? Yep, that's right? exactly right. Nothing if else they matters can, but that. 
Right. And if you figure that part out, you're going to give yourself so much margin to figure all these other problems out that are going to be champagne problems, right? And people always used to say when you're growing, oh, it's a good problem to have. It's still a problem. But you'll have the ability to solve those problems if you've given yourself the margin of growth. Exactly. Sales cures all. And, and, and I've made this mistake. When I was building GreenPal, we, you know, I read some blog somewhere that we needed a, a brand mascot, <laughs> And okay. kind of like MailChimp with the, with the little chimp, the little monkey. And because uh, I used MailChimp at the time. And I was like, man, that is really cool. You know, that, that really separates this email service from the five others that I could use. Because he's so well designed and he just invokes this emotion. And every time I send a campaign, the little MailChimp gives me a high five. And I thought, Green Pal needs this. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so we spent three months designing our brand mascot, Gary the Green Pal. He still lives today. Okay. But, but we would obsess over, okay, what color should his shirt be? And should his hat be around backwards? Or should his hat be like this? Should he have on? What kind, what, what kind of boot should he have on? And I wish somebody had, like, smacked me across the, 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 the face and it said, you idiot, you, you need <laughs> – you need you have five customers. <laughs> you right. need you need fifty. Like first off, go talk to those five customers. Yes. And second off, go get fifty. Go get a hundred. None of this other stuff matters until you do that. How did you go get customers at GreenPal? What when you at the beginning? Like I you can tell me about it now, but I think it's more relevant to like understand how you got the first five and then the first fifty. Yeah, the first I th- I think the first hundred sales uh, for any new business or product should be hand-to-hand combat should be hand cranking belly to belly uh because only then do you know what motions you need to go through to to do that at scale you you know hand cranking it nail it then scale it do things that don't scale at first and and so we (laughs) it sucked but we got our first 500 customers just through door door hangers flyers oh wow literally my two co-founders and i passed out hundreds of thousands of door hangers all over all over middle tennessee to just get the word out about this new app that we had built that was terrible. Uh, but, but we needed to validate the idea. We needed to figure out who these folks were, who would use it, who wouldn't use it, why would they use it, what did they expect it to do, what did, they, what, what did it not do that, that they wished it would do, all of these you know, assumptions that we had that a lot of them were wrong. We had to validate all of this just through people coming through the product. The only way we knew to do that was just through passing out door hangers. As time went on, you know, we would talk to these folks at their, you know, at Starbucks or at their kitchen table, and they would tell us, you know, normally I find a lawn mowing service by going to Google and typing lawn mowing near me, but uh, I saw your door hanger, and I thought I'd try this out. So we kept hearing that over and over and over again. We thought, well, maybe we should just bet the company on, on SEO, and, and that's what we did. And then, we, then I started realizing, you know, after spending five hours a, uh, every night reading over SEO blogs and watching every video on YouTube about SEO, mm. like, holy crap, this is going to be harder than building the damn thing in the first place. <laughs> like, like, this is not easy. Your ranking for lawn mowing service Nashville, Tennessee is not easy. And so, yeah. uh, and so we just started building a little strategy and making little small goals to get traffic that way. And, and, and to this day, that's how 60 70% of new people find out about GreenPal. Wow. Lawn mowing service nearby me, Lincoln, Nebraska, or wherever you're at. So you that that's a really interesting lesson right and I was I was hoping you were going to say what you did there if you when you start the business you get your you get your customers um how long did it take you to get to break even or first let me ask 
Did you did you guys take on any like venture funding at all or any outside funding early in the game? Normally, uh, we we did not, and that is a normal, um, I guess you could say a, no, a normal journey for a tech uh, company like ours, especially local marketplaces. They eat up a lot of cash. Yeah, they every single little city and town has to be built from the ground up, and that's very cost intensive. And and so. In the early days, you know, we're reading over every book and blog and, and, and YouTube video we can about how to get a startup going, a tech startup, because none of us had ever done it. And all and everybody say, okay, this is how you pitch your startup, and this is how you go get an a angel round of funding. So I kind of like half-assed did that, and I started uh, pitching little uh, VCs and little angel investors in, in Nashville and, and doing cold out me, uh, email outreach. And I thought, man, I mean – I'm sitting here like going all over town trying to get a $20,000, $50,000 check. You know, I just built a $10 million landscaping business. I, I, this is a waste <laughs> of my time. And, and right. I, I just, I just want to build a business that people will use. And I don't care about anything else. And, and so it was very much like, like for personal reasons. And this is a, a personal like preference. I, we did not do that. And it, was, and, and it was a good thing we didn't. Because a lot of companies did go down that path, and and when you go down the path of raising venture capital, you you set off this kind of binary outcome almost, where it's where it's either like you're going to have a huge success or it's yeah. going to be a zero. Double and sometimes wow. there are <laughs> sometimes there are you know singles and doubles in between, but but not often. And 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 yeah. that's not what those types of investors are in the game for. And so we uh, we self funded the business from day one. But to your your first question, it was five years. Before we could pay ourselves a salary, I mean, every single dime uh, that the business wow. made went back into paying designers, paying copywriters, paying engineers, paying paying systems, uh, op, you know, DevOps people, you know, uh, you name it. And and so now the team is around forty people, and and wow. uh, and and we now we're able to pay ourselves a salary. But in the early days, it was very much. Um, it was very much like our personal burn rate was the company's burn rate. It was all Jeez. we were all in. Yeah, I mean, not taking funding uh, sucks at the beginning, <laughs> yeah. but then probably you got a superpower now, right? Because now you now you're, I mean, now you're sort of in charge of your own destiny, and what a, what a cool thing! It's really hard to do though, especially with tech companies. And I think that was that was you got to what I was hoping you would say, which was I think people need to hear. It took you five years, yeah, to get to where you could pay pay yourself without outside funding. Now though. Um, you guys have got traction. You've got 40 employees, and you don't have, um, you know, external factors. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, that's the path I took. Like, I worked with some great venture um, partners, have, have now, get you know, sit on a board with some great private equity partners, and that world is great, right? I mean, they understand how to make things grow and scale and can put things in there, but you, you always have to make sure that what you want out of this business or, and or lifestyle – aligns with what that outside investor wants. Right. And so most of the time they're going to want a liquidity event, right? Yep. I mean, t t some will maybe invest in something thinking that there's going to be dividends at, at some point, and, um, and that's a good strategy too. But you have to make sure that your outcome aligns with their desired outcome. And if it does, then you can back into a great working relationship because you're all working for the same thing. I've seen it go the opposite direction where you see somebody that was – really trying to build themselves what we call a lifestyle business, right, which is just something that they're going to run and they're gonna, it's going to be their lifestyle. They're going to make a lot of money, and that's just kind of what they do. 
and then they go out and raise outside venture funding, and it's like, well, what are you doing, right? Yeah. I mean, of course, of course, that's not going to work because. And it could have been a great business. And it could have been a great business, yeah. or it could have been like if if there was no other way to do it, then you need to go down the you know terminal exit path, right? And build you in a lifestyle business after that, right? Or something. I mean, I I think that um, sometimes ego weighs into that too, right? Is where people feel like this is my thing and I want to run it and I don't want any partners. But if you don't, I mean, you either got to, you got to, you got to go one way or the other. You either got to suck it up and realize you're going to have to bootstrap something and work within the budgets that you have or keep pouring your own money into it. Or you're going to have to turn around and take outside money. And then you're going to have to share the vision and what the terminal value is going to be. Yeah. Or at least, at least if you're not sure, take it as far as you absolutely can with no money um a lot of people uh new founders you know i i will start this business if i get funding i will start this business if i can get an investor you know i I, the only reason i can't start the business because i have no access to capital and so that's just you're just you're dead on arrival and so take it as far as you absolutely can with with a prototype or, or hustle up 10 or 20 customers and just hand crank it all and, and, and just validate the idea before you go try, try to raise funding. Um, and, and then you'll, you'll kind of know how to put that funding to work, but, but don't expect uh, investors to fund some sort of, um, you know, search expedition that, you know, there may be a business here. No. You kind of need to, no you kind of need to validate that you have a, 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 a something that works and you're ready for rocket fuel, basically, you know, and don't try to put rocket fuel in a Toyota Camry. You know, you you better have something that's working to where money comes in on one side and more money comes in uh, on the other side. And, uh, you know, yeah. what I what I tell folks is like, you know, would you mortgage your mother's house for this business? You know, <laughs> you know, think about that. You know, if, if, if your mom or, or dad let you take out a mortgage on their house to fund the business, would you do that? And if and if you're that committed, you're that you you feel that strong about the idea. You've you've taken it as far as you can. You have validated all of the all of the unknowns, and to where you would do that. Well, then go confidently raise money. Yeah, yeah. You don't need. To, I, I used to say this all the time to people that were raising money. You you're not going to get people interested until you can kind of make a case that you don't need money. Right. Right. And, and and yes, of course, of course you do. But like to your point, if they don't, no one wants to invest in keeping the lights on at the office. Right. They don't want to invest in you saying, OK, now we can figure out. No, man, like they they want you to build a case for them that you have proven this. You know how to get customers. The product works. Da, 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 and the only thing you need is money for this one missing piece. And then it goes. Right. The missing piece can't be the whole business. Right. Right. It, it, it can't be the finding customers and everything else. It's just not going to work. Exactly. And and a lot of times is. It's, hey, it's working. You know, it's working end to end. It's working. And we're growing. But we could grow a lot faster yeah. if we had capital. And, and, and so that capital usually is the fun growth. And you've proven that, that you can acquire a customer for, for X and that they're worth Y. And, and uh, you know, now, now sometimes if you're a second-time founder and you've put up a win and, you know, even though I had built and sold a business, I was still a first-time founder starting GreenPal because it was a tech company. I had never yeah. built that. So investors didn't care that I had just sold a, a $10 million landscaping business. That mattered. That did not matter at all. 
And so, and so they're looking at a first-time founder, and you know the idea was not validated. And so those conversations were really quick. And uh, you know, looking back, I probably wouldn't have invested in me either. And I'm glad that th- that that went uh, so quickly because then I could get on to building a product that people wanted. It's but it's very strange, you know. If if I if if uh, if Doc from uh, Back to the Future rolls up in the in the DeLorean and says, "Hey, we're going back ten years." And we're going to start all over. You know, the first thing I would do is, is raise a bunch of capital because I know everything to do. I know, right. I know how to put it to work. I know how to move quickly. So I'm not anti-raising uh, capital. I'm just saying, you know, it, it, think about it like would you, would you mortgage your house or your family's house for this? And, and do you feel like you're ready for rocket fuel? Uh, because if not, it's going to be like attaching rocket boosters on the side of a barn. It's not going to go anywhere, and it's going to actually cause you to not succeed having a bunch of money. Yeah, money can make you lazy too. Yeah, I hate to say that, but like if if you get and 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 sophisticated investors know that too. By the way, if they, they know that if you haven't figured some stuff out and they just throw a bunch of money at you, you're not going to have the the desperation, right. right? That it's going to require for you to actually really solve a problem. Like because if you have to, a bunch of money, like I can just throw a bunch too much money at something and get the result ish that I'm looking for. But like, did I really, do I really understand what made that work or did I just throw a bunch of money at it? And it finally came out the other side. Correct. Um, you know, and maybe that doesn't make sense to a lot of people. It does in my head, but like the, you, it can make you lazy, right? If you can just, Absolutely. if you don't have any money, you have to really, really get down to business on what really matters. And we spent, I, we probably spent, I don't know, four or five years at Proctor U um, without funding. Um, and it was, uh, it was, it made us get really, really succinct about, you know, what actually works and what actually makes things, what makes, makes people want to buy this, what actually makes it grow. How do we turn a real profit? How do we, you know, how do we make sure that we can keep rolling? And I don't know that we did it all that great. We, we somehow made it, but it was, I mean, we really didn't hit rocket fuel until we brought in a, uh, an outside partner, but that partner honestly didn't really want to sign until we had just inked a really big deal. And we're trying to figure out how we were going to, Fulfill it, right? And, and that's, that's the point, is we had proven that the only thing really missing was money. You would have never inked the deal had you had a bunch of money thrown at you before the deal. That's true. I, you agree, know? I agree with that statement. Yes. And, it, and, and, it, and all the people that were competing with us, they had a lot of money. There was like two or three other companies in that space that had a lot of money going into it, and they were actually um, they were trying to come at it too high. They were trying to go in and sign entire universities you know, in one swoop and just back in like 2009, that just wasn't, no one was doing that, right? right? The, the market wasn't there yet. And so we, because we were scrappy and we would go sign one single class at a single university. And then that class would be at another one and another one and another one. And those guys were just swinging for the fences because they had so much money. They needed to show traction, big traction really, really quickly. Right. Yeah. It, it It's so true, man. And, and I mean, just a tactical example of this would be, I mean, let's say let's say you want to want to run a Facebook ad campaign, and this happened to us. And you're a founder, maybe you've got two co-founders, maybe you've got two other employees, and so let's say you you raised a million bucks. So okay, we need a Facebook campaign, million bucks. Okay, what's the first thing I do? Well, let's just go hire an agency to handle it. Uh, <laughs> you know, we got the money. 
Let's put the money to work. That's what the VCs want us to do. Uh, so we take the money and we go pay uh, with what we think is the best agency we can to, to, to manage the campaign. And they make some really pretty creative. And, uh, and then campaigns kind of working, but not really. And it's like, well, we're getting customers for 100 bucks, but, but we're only making $10. But maybe, you know, we just keep tuning it, keep optimizing it. Throw some more money at it. Okay, it's like, okay, all right. And then next thing you know, you don't have that million bucks anymore. And so now, now you don't have a channel, you, you, you've, and you've wasted all of the investor capital on, on trying to make that channel work. So, okay, let's say the million dollars doesn't exist. And you say, okay, well, I've got to run a Facebook campaign. All right, well, well I've got to learn how to run Facebook ads. So let me go take every single online course I can uh, uh, about Facebook ads. And then I realize, well, Facebook ads really comes down to writing good copy. And so I just now I have to uh, I'm gonna go read five or ten copywriting books so I become a decent copywriter, and uh, okay all right yeah now I'm running it and I'm and I'm and I'm getting customers for for a hundred bucks but man I really got I mean I, I gotta get them for ten, and so then you really start looking at okay well if I make this ad segment tied to this zip code with this copy. Uh, because they're more price sensitive, I'm able to get customers in that zip code for $7. And so then you really start getting in the trenches and, and okay, but now we need to build this onboarding flow for that customer. And so now the product becomes the marketing and, and it's all integrated because you are doing it. You are hand cranking it. And it all started because you didn't have the money to go pay the agency to do it. You had to do it yourself. Yep. And that's what unlocked the insights. And so, uh, and if you've done all this before, you can kind of avoid some of those mistakes. But if you've never done it before, it's a, it's really easy to, to just you know burn the money, and next thing you know, you you've you've pissed away the equity and the capital. You know, it's one of the things that you said there in that story that I want to I want to like tease this out because it's it's like what you just talked about was really tactical. But there's another element that money not being there forces you right. to be in a situation where you're going to do whatever it takes. Yep. Right. And I think that's the missing link for a lot of people, particularly if you get too much money, you don't necessarily have to do whatever it takes because money's going to paper over a lot of the stuff, going to make things easier. You can just hire an agency. Is that agency really good? Meh, they're okay. They're not okay. Is it working? I don't know. Maybe you drag it out six months. I've made these same mistakes too, right? Is when, when you have capital to invest, uh, in something, you um, you inherently are going to like say, "Oop, I've written the check for that. That's handled. I'm going to focus on something else." And then you look up a little while later, and you realize, "Holy crap! Like it's not working. I've wasted this money, and now I'm now I'm behind. I've also lost time." Exactly. And so, it's that willingness to do whatever it takes to build that business that I think you have to find how to get that. You have to be willing to. You were willing to teach yourself SEO. And Facebook ads, right? As a as a guy who built a lawn care empire, right? And now you got to learn that stuff. Uh, you know, I had to do all sorts of things that were way outside my comfort zone because we just didn't have. You know, we had to figure out we didn't have a product team to come in and build our product <laughs> right. in tech space early. Right. Like we just and, had to. And talk if to you people. did, and if you did, you'd have told them to build the wrong thing. Correct. It would have, and they would have built the wrong because. Frankly, that's what our competitors did in right. that space, right? We were so much smaller and poorly funded than they were right. that that we had to talk to people and go, hey, what do you want it to do? And we built something that was really, really simple. And they were building something really, really complex, and everybody gravitated towards the simple. 
because it was easy to understand. It made us nimble and everything else. And so that's like the takeaway I hope everybody gets from this. It's the end of the day, whether you've got money or you don't have money or whether you know what you're doing or you don't know what you're doing or whatever, you have to have that willingness to get your hands dirty and get scrappy and do whatever it takes if you're going to ever build something of long-term value. Exactly. Slow smoked. Slow. Speaking of, a great segue in uh, for us to check on. Oh, yeah, baby. Check on the beef. <laughs> Damn, look at so that. I, so usually you cook a picanha a lot faster than this. And um, I just really wanted to go slower this time and really get some smoke infusion in that. Get a nice medium rare uh, going. So we still got an internal temperature of 79. So we got a long way to go. Um but baby, it's looking, it's smelling good. What did Deion Sanders say? Look good, do good. This is looking good. <laughs> it's gonna do good. I'm jealous. It's, I, hey, listen, when you get back to Nashville, let's get down, uh, get down here to Birmingham, and we'll right uh, we'll smoke something up and talk a little more business. So, Brian, I want to make sure everybody has an opportunity um, to connect with you and also to connect with Green Pal. Obviously, where can they find Green Pal if they're if they feel like, man, you know what, I need to solve my my lawn care needs this way. Yeah, don't waste time uh, trying to wrangle the lawn guy. Just uh, go to GreenPal.com or download Green Pal in the App Store or Play Store. And anybody want to find me, just, just hit me up on LinkedIn or find me on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram handle is Brian M. Clayton. That's awesome. Brian, thank you so much for being here. Guys, if you found something valuable on the show, and I'm sure you did, I love talking to an entrepreneur like Brian who can give you real-world stories. Please uh, take a clip of this or send a link of this show to somebody that you think might uh, find some value as well. Like us on social media. We're everywhere. YouTube. Uh, I think we're on LinkedIn now. We're on uh, – I don't think we're – we don't do Twitter or X, right? Because I don't he, – he renamed it. I don't know. We're on Facebook. We're on TikTok. We're everywhere. Um, and if you want to connect with the show, make sure you like us and follow us. Give us a five-star rating, and we'll see you next time on Slow Smoke Business.